Welcome back to the Cave of Solitude, your pop culture and comic book podcast coming to you from the megacity metropolis of Toronto. I'm your host, Eric Anthony, and this is episode 248, hanging out with my pal, David Molyneux. Dave Molyneux, back on the show, my favorite guest. I'll say it. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't. I shouldn't say that, but everyone's my favorite guest. But I love talking to you. Oh, I always look Dave. forward to it. Yeah, I do. It's nice. Thank you. You, you, um, you read as much as more than me, and you've got great insights, and you're super funny. And I know that if you lived, <laughs> if you lived in the area, we would go and get pints frequently. So it's, we would. Yeah. Because we, I think, I think sometimes in life you're looking for that. It's not just a person who likes what you like and who agrees with everything you agree on, but a person you could just be. Yeah. You know? Just, yeah. In spite it of. Like it's quite a rare thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I've been going on, I, I'm like anybody else, guilty that I go on social media as like an instinct. Like I just... I, I press Facebook. Let's see what's going on over lunchtime. Let me scroll. And then every time I do it, I would say 90%, I always go, ugh. <laughs> ugh. Ugh. It's so stupid. Like, I just get all agitated. And I think that's your fault because you know it's just nonsense on here. And you keep going on. Why? <laughs> so, yeah. Because you want to see stuff. It's totally. Because you want to get into some sort of like space where, yeah, let me see videos of stuff I like. Let me see what some of my friends are posting. What's up with everybody? And then it's like, I like people better face to face. Yeah. Because your 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 persona on your social media, you're annoying. (laughs) Not you, but people. Oh, thank you. It's true that you do get a lot of people that will go on onto things like that. They'll post their thing. Oh, I'm starting to get guilty of this. They'll post their thing and they won't look at anyone else's and they'll leave. It's like, here's my thing. Here's my news. Bye. <laughs> I don't care about you. You know, it's like, so equally, I kind of find that annoying. But also you get these people that go, oh, I'm just having the worst day. Oh, what are you? And then people go like, what's up, hun? And they go like, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Why did you say that then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm posting this. And I don't want anybody to ask about it, so don't put it in your comments. But three pages later, and yeah. if you say, if you need to talk, I'm here. They didn't want you to offer that. They just wanted to dump on, on you. It's like, uh, whatever. So, yeah, this is refreshing to talk to somebody cool. and <laughs> while we complain about everybody else. <laughs> how, you, how have you been? How are things going? Yes, man. Good, thanks. Yeah, I mean, had had a little holiday. I think I didn't realize how much that was needed. Mm. Yeah. Um, sure. So just to get away, it's just to be nice. We just went to Devon, which is like four hours drive away. Mm-hmm. It was just nice, and like me, she took the the girls to the beach because I can't do the sun because I just because I'm a vampire. Um, <laughs> and then I stayed in the little chalet thing and read comics for four hours at a time. It was awesome. <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah. I love that for vacations is that having that sort of – that time together but then that uninterrupted me time where 
yeah, I mean, I'm going to take an hour and I'm going to read. Like, let's, we'll, we'll get back to this after. Sort of yeah. We'll get back to the, or when you read something interesting, do share it with me because I'm really interested. But it's nice to have that downtime where you can just unapologetically enjoy what you enjoy. Yeah. What did you it's read? Cool, what did you read on your holiday? Oh my God, so much. Um, I read Morth Fairless. I, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, which is just a title experiment, which is all in Martian. Um, I read um, Dungeons and Dragons, like the first IDW Dungeons and Dragons series. I read, um, God, I don't, I'm trying to remember now. Uh, uh, right. Normally, I haven't had a cold in a year and it feels like the apocalypse. Wow. Like my brain is so fuzzy and like sentences are difficult, but like it's just like, is this what cold is like? <laughs> I, you know what, it, knock on wood, but <laughs> I haven't, since the world became upside down, I haven't had a, a standard yearly cold, and I'm on the lookout more than ever, and every time I feel like a little tickle, I'm like, that's it, I'm sick, I'm getting it, it's time. <laughs> did you, did, did, were you worried that it was uh, COVID or anything like that, or are you? Yeah, a bit panicked about it, but I mean, like... I've had the two vaccines, but there are people I know that have had the vaccines and they've still ended up getting it. So, hmm. you know, and when you're going to a thing that even if you're trying to be as safe as possible, you can't guarantee, you can't guarantee what's going to happen. So, yeah, I'm a bit paranoid about it, but um, it's definitely a cold. Yes. Yeah. It's, just, it's just a gnarly cold. Yeah, hey, look, we all get them, right? And once a year, mm-hmm. at least we get our turn with it and it sucks, but... At least, at least it's just that. Hopefully, and maybe, maybe um, because of the the two vaxes, maybe that's all you're gonna get. Hopefully, maybe you know. Hopefully, that's that's a reason. Yeah, what's what's the the, the tenor like over there when it comes to uh, how people are reacting to getting it and and how people feel about those who don't get it? Because over here, it's it's um, it's annoying. I'll say that much. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. What's the what's the average? Is it is it are most people going for it? It's high. We're I think at between seventy and eighty percent that are with the first vax, and the last that I saw was twenty five and up with double. Like we're doing mm. well. We're doing well as far as people who are for it. But I think the and full disclosure, I not that it matters. I don't feel like I need to explain it. But I did get vaxxed, uh, double, but. It's annoying just to hear the kind of attitude and rhetoric that people so quickly go to for anyone who doesn't want to be, mm-hmm. and and the adi- like the sort of just relax, guys. People have their right to to choose. Let them be. They're not the reason this thing exists. Yeah. And I think that's the part where they're making they're forgetting like these people aren't the reason that this happened, and we're making it seem like you're all murderers kind of attitude and it's like just relax let time see what it does we still don't know we really don't know much no but everyone there's knows. a lot we don't know no i mean it's difficult i mean my wife actually treats the people she treats at the moment she's back in intensive care working in intensive care but they're all unvaccinated people um and, you know and it must be really frustrating and it must be really easy to think if you just done 
the smart thing in inverted commas and just gone and got it sorted, um, you wouldn't be in the situation. Like, like you clearly thought better of it, and now you realise you should have done it. But there's no point in being angry. Like, I, I think I would probably seeing a lot of that. I think that would make me angry, but she can't be like that. And I think part of that tempers me, and it makes me think, like, you know, there is that choice. People have the right to choose. And it, it does seem that a lot of people are virtually being attacked for it. And it isn't really fair. It's just a really difficult one. Because <laughs> we just don't, we, there's so much we don't know. No, there's so, so there's much so, we don't know. Yeah. And, I, and it's just everyone, it's just more the swiftness of some people's comments where it's like, okay, I get the sentiment. I know what you want. You want things to go back to normal. But to implement some of the things you'd like them to do to police the whole situation is a slippery slope. Let's just let let this go. Let people learn if they're going to learn the hard way, whichever way it goes. Let's just let time go. Let's not get too excited. And I feel that, yeah, everyone's got to let you know their stance. And it's like, this isn't religion. This is, this is medicine. It's personal. Yeah. And just like religion is personal. What happened to keeping certain... Like we, don't I don't know Facebook and those things just make us want to tell everything of what we think. Tell everything and pick a side. Ah, I I don't I'm not sure about you. I'm I'm one of those horrible people that stay on the fence and kind of look on both sides. That's me. I'm I'm a middle in middle of the road kind of person. I don't I want to try to be as objective about things. Yeah, that's the thing. I think like if you do that. What you'll find yourself doing is asking both sides. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's when people stop asking each other and start telling each other what they think and what they're doing wrong and what, you know, that's when it breaks down. Yeah. You, know, you can't tell people, you, someone can't tell me what I think because I don't know, they don't live in my head. Yeah. Um, I find that really frustrating that when people do do that, but it seems more prevalent now. Very, and almost, ne- it's almost, it's like, it's necessary, right? Even in those safe uh, spaces, like let this is a safe space where everyone is nice. Please tell us your pronouns. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> okay, so I already know where I'm entering here. We've already made uh, ground. Okay, I get it. So it's a safe space if, right? So yeah. Um, as, we, as we criticize everybody else, and how crazy they are. We're, let's now get in. this episode. We're going to give you a list of what you should read because it's the best stuff. And if you don't read it, well, you're just shame on you. You're wrong. You're wrong. Completely wrong. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, every we always have like somewhat of a theme when we plan to record and then we just talk about everything. And then within an hour, we're like, oh, yeah, so we got a list for you if you're still with us. Um, yeah, I w- you and you brought it up last time. You brought up a couple good lists that I want to I want to keep uh, in mind for the next up because some of those ideas were good. Uh, I don't want to spoil what what the next ones could be, but you said that we should do a top five Marvel in the '90s list because I think we were comparing Marvel in DC the last time. What we liked, what we didn't like. We didn't do it like with a list. We just kind of tossed things out there. Yeah, it, it's funny. It's one of those things that we th- we threw around as an idea. Mm-hmm. And then, it, and then it came up, and I remember thinking afterwards, "God, that's not what I thought I was going to say about." <laughs> I know <laughs> about that. Um, 
which is quite funny, really, because like I think we ended up talking more almost about you know how, how it wasn't so much the stories, but it was almost like the process with the two companies, yeah, and how they work as companies rather than characters and stories and yeah. But I think yeah, with this, let's look at some stories. Yeah, and oh, man. It's it, more since our last conversation. More and more, the the kind of process that the comp, that these two publishers and on a bigger scale now these corporations, the choices they make. I know back in t- 2012, after the Avengers X Men, I know you kind of dropped off Marvel during the Marvel Now years. Mm-hmm. I'm after. I think whenever Death Metal occurred. After I fin like once they got into that, I'm done with yeah. DC. Once the Dan DeDio was gone, and they just did this whole strange restructuring. I don't know about mm-hmm. you, but it's a it seems like a really weird company. I don't get them. Yeah, there's. Uh, I think in a way, it's it's reminiscent of what happened with Marvel after they finished Siege, because when they finished with Siege. They went, now it's the heroic age. There's no real direction. Like, the strongest periods is when they've had a direction. Um, even if it's individual individual directions per character or groups of titles, like, the 80s was probably less an overarching thing, and more in terms of the groups of titles. It was all going somewhere. Claremont always had an idea of where he wanted to take the X-Men. It was always going in a direction, or it felt that way. You know, and when you got to that point, you went, oh, is this what you were planning all that time? Odds are it probably wasn't. Um, yeah, I'm Madeline Pryor's a clone. Uh, and I think, oh. I think that's what, I think that's kind of what made us go along for that ride in a way. Yeah. Because it's, it felt like he was discovering these characters as he wrote them and as yeah. he read them. None of it felt forced until the, maybe the end of his time, where it's like this has to be a collector's issue. We need a new this. We need a tie-in. We need an event. Whereas all those events, as much as they were events, they all kind of were like, yeah, this is Inferno, or yeah, this is Follow the Mutants. Yeah. And and this is a, uh, um, I don't know what the line-wide X Factor X Men. New mute. It, it, it's affecting these characters. This is their world, yeah. and and you felt it was worth the investment to follow that. Whereas mm-hmm. now it's like, so I guess I should buy this first issue because of this new revelation that this character is going to give us. Like, I guess I should read that, and instead yeah. of reading it, like, I I felt that was going to happen. Like, I it makes sense. Yeah, and it feels like the payoff. Like in terms of a payoff, I think now, especially the way things are written to to be collected in trades, it feels like the payoff, the aim of the payoff is is going to come a lot quicker. So, like, um, I, th- I think it sounds like the current Hickman run. So I'm, I'm not reading it, but it sounds like that's a bit longer term. But even longer term is probably like thirty five issues. Wow, thirty five issues with Claremont. The payoff could be yeah. six, seven years down the line. Um, and that's what kept you in, you know. This is this is a this is an investment in my time. It's not remotely about money, especially when they were cheaper then. But you know, it's an investment in my time. I'm gonna I'm staying with these characters because I need to know what happens to them. Like, I mean, weirdly, I'd like quite a 
tricky period in my teens where I was literally just going like, I don't know, I don't know what to do with my life. This is really, you know, where do I go? What am I going to do? I, what do I want to do for a job? I really don't know. And weirdly, one of the things that got me through my teenage years was comics because it felt like there was a line of sight. There's something, it seems really heavy, but like it was, it did. It just like, they helped me through my teenage years because it was a, there was a goal. There was a thing. There was something to keep things moving. That's the thing. Forward. Yeah, keep things moving. You, whatever yeah. happens, you got to keep going with it and see where it takes you. Yeah. And I felt like those comics then, that was kind of the thing. It was, oh, yeah, this character. Oh, that's where they've been or that's what happened. Yeah. And, and it felt like you, you it was or, there was an organic aspect to it. I'm sure there was editorial mandates of how to do this and what not to do for sure. But as you read it, it didn't feel quite as, well, we got to fix this now. Or we got to make sure this has, we need this type of character. Let's do that. Yeah, it very much feels like that now. I mean, like, even when they introduced Gambit, I, I still didn't I didn't like Gambit. Um, I still don't like Gambit. But it didn't feel like they were going, hey, everybody, it's the new character that's first appearing here. You've got to get on this character. Look at the sketches. Check out this thing. We're going to do a feature on it on Userama. Like, he just appeared. <laughs> Wasn't even, I think it was like a guest artist issue as well. So it wasn't even like the best art. I can't remember who, who drew his first appearance. Will's, Will's Potatio, I, think, I don't know how you pronounce his name. Um, he, I think he drew like the second appearance or something in it. It was awesome. Just his art. I loved it. But um, yeah, it wasn't a big, oh look, we've got a new New Orleans character. Make sure you get in on the new character in New Orleans, everybody. He just appeared. You know, it was all natural. Cable obviously had a big front cover thing and they said, next issue, Cable. And you're like, oh, okay, is this a new guy? But that was the level. Introduce new characters. People might hate him. Um, but they didn't. And then, you know, you, I mean, they didn't even know what they were going to do with the guy. Yeah, right. How long? Even they, something like Deadpool just, seemed like a... Yeah. He never knew he was going to be the most popular character in the world. No. Right. He was totally throwaway. What was he in about four pages? I'm not sure, but I I, I went to um, a Rob Liefeld panel a couple of years ago. I recorded it and actually put it on the podcast. He didn't even get asked the question. They just said, everyone, Rob Liefeld's here, and he sits at the, the dais or whatever, and I think they just asked him one question, and he went for an hour straight. Whoa. Off to the races. It was quite entertaining. He, he really loves comics, so all of the... A lot of the flack and the hate that he's received over the years, especially for 90s comics, which is what we're going to talk about today, um, I, I gained an admiration for him because I saw that his excitement and his love for the medium was as sincere as everybody's there. Like This is a guy who loved this stuff as much as us and got to be a good enough artist to live his dream, like a rock yeah. star. And yeah, was he an arrogant young kid, punk, whatever, sure, yeah, well, what would you have been if you were the hottest thing in the thing that you loved, to the point that you mm-hmm. became celebrities with your friends, like, yeah. Yeah, started they, your own company, Yeah, he they, was basically a rock star, he was, he was the comics equivalent of a rock star, yeah, him and McFarlane, and, and Jim Lee, the uh-huh. three of them, right, um, but, but he said that, I said all of that to say that he was bringing up his, he goes, Deadpool was, to me, my way of creating a Boba Fett, 
was because I thought everything about Boba Fett that we liked about him was how he looked. He looked really cool because we just saw a toy of him. He didn't speak. We didn't know anything about him. He was just a throwaway. He ended up being a throwaway that I waited so long as a child because they mentioned him in a toy. He shows up for five minutes and takes Han Solo's you know, frozen carbonite body to Boba. And then in the third movie, he gets eaten by a... <laughs> by a belly button with teeth. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, man. He goes, but in my head, he looked so cool that yeah. everybody wanted to know what his story was. And I just, because that's how I made Deadpool. Just to make him look cool. Kind of looks like Spider-Man. Kind of looks like this. Ask questions. And he goes, I didn't know it was going to be what it was. Just like you just like you said, four pages, right? Yeah, four pages. Mm, he could never have come back. Yeah. But I think that they obviously intended him to bring him back into X-Force. But even then, they didn't really feature him that frequently. Mm. He could have still been nothing. Because then life had left anyway. Right. You know, around what, what was it? Issue 11, 10, 11, something like that. Um, so he could have just been dropped again because it wasn't like he was built that much even by then. But I mean, that was when obviously Joe Kelly picked him up. I mean, I, I could get into that in a bit. <laughs> Looping <laughs> it around. There you go. But yeah, Joe Kelly picked him up and that was what really made Deadpool, I think. Yeah, I think everyone can agree on that because every time you look at... Um, whenever I've asked people like, hey, what do you think about that first Deadpool omnibus? I can, you know, I see it for 75 bucks. And they're like, no, don't do it. Start with Joe Kelly. I'm like, oh, okay. It, he made that much of an impact on that, that character that it's almost, it almost is like, even if you don't like the character, just check that out. See what the deal is. See what it's all about. So I have it yeah. actually behind me on the shelf, the volume one. I haven't touched it yet. Um, right around the, there. The trade. Yeah, oh. the trade. I got. I know that volume two has come out, so I'm just. I gotta read the first one still. I'm bad that way. Guilty. Have you read them before? No, never. I've. I've the Deadpool that I've read. I started with um, uh, Uncanny. Uncanny X Force. Uncanny X Force. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I was thinking it's not X Factor. Uncanny X Force. I really like that version. Someone has recommended like go start there. He's not as jokey and and silly. You get to see yeah. the character, but it's done in a way that's tolerable. And then they said, and then I checked out, which I really loved, was uh, Cable and Deadpool, that uh-huh. series. And I had read it all in preparation to talk to uh, Fabian Nicieza. Of course, yeah. Yeah, and um, that that was a great book. That was a really fun series. I loved that one. I sold my omnibus, and I'm pissed off at myself. <laughs> Why did I do that? I think I, I don't know, but I, I wish I hadn't sold that. Um, I wish I had yeah, bought it when I'd seen it for so sale. Fun. They'll probably re-release it. Oh yeah, because they're sure. getting really good for that now. Very good. That's kind of cool. It's it's very cool and very scary because every time I see an announcement made, I'm like, "What is it? What is it? Let what's me know. The, let me know." And then I'm like, me? "Oh no, I want it. I have to." I'm, and then right away, I go to see if you could pre-order it. I um. I did it on my, uh, my friend Adam Chapman's podcast. Shout out to Adam. Um, Comic Shenanigans. That's a good one. You'd like that one. Oh, cool. Okay. And I gave him like a list of what I had pre-ordered for, for like starting in September into the spring. And uh, yeah, I'm going to have to make some space 
I'm going to have to do the Dave Molyneux purge, what goes into the, the sales thing. That's hard. That's hard for me to do, especially with omnibus and hard covers. Trades, I'm easy. I can, this book, because I know maybe if I ever want to read them again, they'll be collected better. But yeah. with, with stuff that is like, I don't know, there's something about the, it's like, a, it's like the deluxe edition of a DVD set. Sorry. No, that's okay. When you have like a box set that's really, really cool, and it's like, well, yeah. I, I don't want to get rid of that. That's that's the collector's edition. That's how omnibus feel. That's what. That's the thing. You you learn, you keep stuff, even though it wasn't as good as you'd hoped because it's in the like I'm reading um DC One Million at the moment. Did you? <clears> sorry, sorry it. to interrupt you. Did you see what happened with DC One Million? What happened with it? Okay, so they're reprinting it. And oh. Amazon had it listed for $34. I don't know what that translates for pounds. I'm going to do it for you right now. Quid. I'll do it for you right now. 34, let's say 35. 20 pounds. Whoa. And it was going to be, I think, a $200 book, like a 195 Jeez. which yeah, would be... Yeah, because it's chunky. I heard it's huge, which is 112 pounds. Okay, right. That face is the face that I see every time. I'm like, oh man, I want that JSA Volume Three, but it's a hundred and ninety-five dollars. So it was up there for pre-order. They had it. All the contents were correct, but the page count was forty-three pages. So they had it listed for thirty-four dollars. Oh. So everybody bought it. It's a bestseller. I bought one just to Damn. just to get it. But you're talking about it now, so continue. DC One Million. Before, actually, before I continue on that, let's say yeah. about it being complete. There's one thing that DC seems to keep doing, which is releasing an omnibus, realizing they've made a mistake, and then re-releasing it with more stuff in. So they did it with Super Sons. They added in the yeah. adventures of the Super Sons afterwards. Like, I just bought the book. Like, why? <clears throat> you knew that series existed. Why didn't you just collect the whole lot? Um, and I, I'm going to get the trades at some point of that series. It's annoying. But when they collected JLA, the trades... They took out the last three pages of the first appearance of Justice League A or whatever they're called from DC One Million. So they took that out because obviously then it leads into DC One Million. Um, so issue 23, 24, whatever it is, is three pages short. And they should have then included those in the DC One Million omnibus, but they didn't. So I, I've never read those three pages that lead in. And as a completist... <laughs> That really bugs me. <laughs> so hopefully they'll include those three pages. It's I know a, this seems like so petty. Well, this is this is a podcast for geeks, for those that are listening, and they will <laughs> all understand our irritation. And we're the only ones. I'm happy that there are some, but when I explain it sometimes to my wife when she's in the right headspace, she gets it. She's like... Yeah, that's annoying. You gotta get the, you gotta fix that, because her A type yeah. personality kind of clicks. I don't have that as much, but when it comes to, well, I just bought this book, like it, it, what, weird tangent. The Todd McFarlane, omnibus of Spider Man, is the same yeah. amount of issues as the trade. Doesn't collect more, but one is a hundred dollars and one is forty five dollars. Really? Yeah, as far as I can tell. 
Because the page, like it's one, and even with the, yeah, it's only fifteen issues or something, isn't it? Sixteen, yeah, something like that. And even with the um, death of Captain America, there's the omnibus, that's four hundred mm-hmm. and something pages, let's say four hundred and twenty nine, mm-hmm. but the trade that collects that same content has a more higher page count, but the omnibus is seventy five dollars American, and it's just like, why do they do that? And, and there's enough of us who are crazy to say, well, I got to have it all with the omnibus spine. Otherwise, why read it? Have you seen the uproar about the spines? Yeah, I have. It's just, I, I think, think it's, it's kind of funny. It's funny, but I think it's a dumb thing that they did. Like, why it's would a they, really stupid thing. Why? You know these people are, you know that, not these people, I'm included. We're, we're weird like that. Yeah. We're willing. It's part of the completeness thing. It's it's part of the whole thing. It, it's <clears throat> it's kind of that's the thing. It's kind of funny from an outside perspective. Until I read a comment when someone said they better not do this with Uncanny X Men Volume Five, and my like I suddenly just went, <gasps> oh god, I hadn't thought of that. Um, no, they're not going to do. They better not do. That. And suddenly I went from kind of going, oh seriously, people, come on. So I go, you're absolutely right. You're Absolutely right. Let's fight this. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, and it, and it just kind of that was another thing too. And there's got to be a reason. And the, the, those those are the type of things I like picking the brains of whoever you can ask. Like why why did you guys do this in the marketing department? <laughs> what what yeah. was it, you know? But the the thing that happened with um, Tom King's Batman. I bring that up all the time because I'm a, a nerd. But <laughs> after the wedding supposed wedding trade. Yeah. So they, they have the the spine that's all white, they look nice, they got the blue oh, and black yeah. the blue and black little black. tag at the pot and then they take away the black and it just goes blue and you're like, okay, they're transitioning into oh, you know a new thing. And then all of a sudden they just go black spines. Yeah. And it's like why? You could do whatever you want and it doesn't make a difference really because it's just we're geeks, but it's weird. <laughs> That now you just out of the blue and you're not going to have a, it won't be even even. Give us our even. <laughs> we pay good money for yeah. this to be in the same font. At the, but it's weird though because I mean, from because I'm obviously a designer in real life, whatever you want to call it. But when they released the, um, the No Man's Land trade paperbacks, mm-hmm. I think it was volume three, the words No Man's Land were not in bold. And that really grated on me. So, like, from a design perspective, I'm looking at it going, you just opened the same InDesign file and you changed the number of the volume and you dropped the artwork in for the cover and you've done your job. Like, what? And it's like, why hasn't someone checked that? But it's like, oh, this is what, that's the industry I work in. You know? Right, so right, like, right. It really grates on me. And I think, like, maybe it's just a design thing. And then you go on to, like, comic omnibus collector pages on Facebook and you're going, oh, it's not just me. <laughs> and I feel oddly relieved. But it's it's just that completeness to it. I mean, like, I found that they really wasted an opportunity with the Nightfall Omnis that they didn't make those three spines have interconnecting artwork. That would have looked really cool. And instead, you got really random characters that made it onto the spines. Like, think about what you're, what you're doing. I'll do it. Give it to me. I'll do it. And a lot of people do now. You see some people who have like... Yeah, they do, don't they? Yeah, they make these really nice looking spines. And, and you go, 
Well, I want one of those. That makes sense. That looks so much better. How come we thought... And you know what's funny, Dave? As, as silly and petty as this sounds, it's so strange how we can all write the biggest letters of complaint and upheaval and we are like, yeah, that's right. When our spines of our collected issues change. But when anyone says, why is Batgirl Puerto Rican or Dominican? She, isn't she redheaded? Everyone goes, ah, no, you can't say that. Look at you. It's so, and, and it's like, but we're so geeky about all these other things. But when we want the character to look like the character, people are like, you're crazy. What's that like when they do casting for the films and stuff? Yeah, DC casting, the, the new Batgirl is a beautiful, beautiful woman. Um, I forget her, the actress's name now. She's going to be a Dominican actress. Right. Um, oh, yeah, I saw something about that. I totally forgot. Yeah. And when, when it was posted, everyone was like, all congratulatory and excited and 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 then of course there's that second or third comment we're like in three two one here's the racist and it's like <laughs> no i i prefer the dominican woman nine times out of ten amongst all women in my taste but batgirl is redheaded with freckles like that's what she looks like yeah i saw an interesting video of this 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 guy I can't remember his name. Damn it, that's going to really bug me. If I remember it, I'll suddenly, I'll do it in like half an hour. <clears throat> but this guy, um, so he's he's a black, I think he's New Yorker. I think he's New Yorker. And he basically had this big rant about stop making, um, stop changing races. Characters, like it doesn't make me feel better that you've made a character black. And I then suddenly relate to them because is this character is white. They're meant to be white. I've always related to that character. Don't make them black. Like, I if think you I've, want to make I a think black I've character. Seen that. I think I've have seen, you seen it? I think so. I, I think I watched that um, when they were talking about the J.J. Abrams and Ta-Nehisi Coates Superman and, and making Clark Kent, uh, making a black Clark Kent. And, and, oh. and they said, you know, uh, it was funny. It may be the same guy that you're referring to. He said... So here's here's the reason why they're gonna have a an African American director to direct this black Superman because if it was a white director, it would be tone deaf. And he says, "You made Clark Kent a black man. That's tone deaf. <laughs> Not that the director can't get it. Like where are we? Like what are we trying to say here? And I'm ha- I'm excited actually for um, Michael B. Jordan recently announced." I don't know if he's going to play or produce, but he's going to be behind... I think he's playing. Yeah, the, the Valzad character, right? Mm. That's cool. Like, that is cool. There are characters that exist that yeah. you could do... Re- like, what you're going for, and, and maybe maybe this is, you know... I don't know how, the, how this could be spun on me, whoever's listening. But I feel like if you took the Martian Manhunter... Yeah. And for all the type of stories they want to tell where they're getting into every diversity and every um you know playing the identity game he's a great character to do that with because you can do a movie where he's played by who any black actor uh name one morris chestnut there you go he can play he can play for the first movie just the first movie, he's John Jones. Because in the second movie, Aquafina plays John Jones. Because that's okay. what the character can do. 
That makes sense. Because right? the thing is, as well, is obviously he's not even... Well, he's Martian. He's Martian. He's John Jones. You know he has a family, but he's a shapeshifter. He can... And that would be the commentary. Right. And that's, in, quite, that's a nice idea. And in every movie, you can cast... Anybody that that is not you feel represented, because yeah. John Jones can be anybody. Ultimately, he just gotta go back to whoever's the main green guy to play him. You can pick anybody if they the body is right, because they're green. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what color they are, but when he shifts into a human, in every movie he can change and and play like. Now I gotta go and live this life where. I'm with this group of people, and this is what I've learned being in their company. Now I gotta go and be this, you know, black Republican and give you this perspective. And everyone could just be like, whoa, he's just getting into all these circles because the character allows you to. But when you say that, they're like, it's not John Jones. It's gonna be this guy. Take it and leave it. And it's like, I'm not, say- I'm not saying that you can't have your, you know, I, want you- I know you wanna have your cake and eat it too. And I want to see what you want to see. But make it make sense. Yeah. I think the, the Martian Quantum Leap thing could work. Right? <laughs> I didn't even think of that. The Martian Quantum Leap. Yeah, that, w- that would be it. Because w- yeah. I, he shows up. You're, you haven't seen... Have you seen the Zack Snyder Justice League? The, the, uh, still haven't seen it. No. Okay, there's. I want to spoil something for you, but I'm not going to say it. Because there's a moment in it where you're like... Yeah, that's cool. I want to see where that goes because they've made it exist now. Right. So you you think to yourself, well, that character is here. Let's see where that can go. Yeah. Right. So well, I don't know. Th- this is the thing I think. Like with with the with the uproar about the, is his name Michael B. Jordan? Did you say? Yeah. Yeah. With the uproar of that, I think a lot of people saying. Oh, they're just trying to make this PC. That character exists. That character exists already. There was uproar about She-Hulk. People going, "Oh, they've invented what they've done." Disney, they've invented a female Hulk, called her She-Hulk, just so they can make a TV series. Like, no, she's been around since 1980. Hello, like, do a tiny, but just Google it. It's not hard. <laughs> well, that's the same thing with Miles Morales, right? They didn't yeah. make Peter Parker different. They said, "Here's a, we're going to make Spider-Man a legacy character. Uh-huh. And here's this kid. And if they ever cast that into the movies, I want it to look the way he looks in the comics. Yeah. I don't want him lighter. I don't want him darker. Make it that kid, that perfect, you know? Because it's there's a reason they're designed that way. Yeah. In some respects, that's all. But the the thing, I think the thing with a lot of these things is, well, they're trying to move stuff on that was created in the sixties, and I, I kind of get what they're trying to do by modernizing stuff that was created sixty years ago. But also, don't because they're so well established. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like if, you, if you're going to cast. It's a tricky way because if you don't cast Jesus, don't cast him. You know, but like you've got an established character. It's just, it feels weird to do this. And I think people are onto it. Um, so don't would patronize ho- people. You would hope so, but it feels like when you say to anybody, you realize that they're like, this is what they're doing for everybody? Uh huh. 
and people are like, well, that's just your racism coming out. I was like, no, it's not because one of my favorite Marvel movies is Black Panther, legitimately. Not because it's the right answer. I love that movie. And I love the character. But, I, and, and, and as controversial as this will sound, I don't want Trevor Noah to play T'Challa. Who's Trevor Noah? Trevor Noah is the uh, South African. He's mixed. He's got he's he's half white, half black, but he's from South Africa, and he's a very famous uh, comedian. He took over for okay. John Stewart for The Daily Show. Oh, I saw him. Yes. Yeah, beautiful, good-looking guy. He's not T'Challa. T'Challa's got to look like Wesley Snipes, <laughs> right? It's, and, and and that's it's just because like it's part of the characters, the whole yeah. thing, right? So I don't have yeah. a problem with who's on my screen and what I enjoy. It's just why. This is just strange. Like you said, it just seems weird. Yeah. And it seems like it's the right business move. That's what it seems like. It's like this is business now. It's a business move that's made predominantly by white men. Right. Isn't it? We know this. Like, this is why I think, like, some of this thing where people are going, ah, no, they're trying to, you know, if the people that do buy into it agree... I mean, they're more than welcome to feel like, yes, they are representative. People can feel however they want to feel. But ultimately, the decisions are being made by white men who run Disney or Warner Brothers or whoever it is, you know? So, and what's their agenda? What's their goal, really? Appeasement, a lot of the time. I I don't know. It's a business. It's a business decision. Yeah, it seems like these things have now become a brand instead of like the ideology is a brand now instead of an understanding you're talking at me instead of talking to me or with me yeah again it's asking questions yeah what do you want what do you want to see i walked into a supermarket when would that have been two years ago (laughs) um and there was all this disney princess there was there was there were loads of banners up with disney various disney princesses on them and one of them was Gamora and my heart broke <laughs> Gamora is not a Disney princess get that down get that down right now like stop trying to make it fit your thing sorry who's Gamora um, from Guardians of the Galaxy well oh I see yeah okay so from from Warlock right but of course she's now known as yeah, she's the deadliest woman in the universe. Right. The Disney princess. <laughs> <laughs> right, um, right, right, right. She's not a princess. No. A princess of Stop death, trying to make maybe. people, these characters, something they're not. And that's, this is what's happening. And they will they will change into that. I mean, the mainstream does this every time they release anything. So, like, I think that one of the big reasons, apparently, why Aquaman everyone says he talks to fish is because that's what he did in the Super Friends cartoons. It's not because it's what he did in the comics. Um, that whole Biff Powell thing that Batman did for ages, people associated that with Batman until the Tim Burton films because that's the mainstream. You know, Even though Batman didn't act that way in the comics since probably the early 60s, they fought hard to change that. But it doesn't sit into the mainstream until... They make a film about it, or they make a cartoon about right. it. Right, you know, and that, and I think, yeah, that's 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 the thing, right? Is that it matters in a way because 
everything else about these characters, wherever else you find them, looks like this. And then, and then you realize too, for better and sometimes for worse, the way that it hits the mainstream oftentimes is what you could get stuck with. And maybe that's what they're going for. Maybe that's what they're going for. But you can't suddenly. I mean, you can, I guess, but it's it'd be if you suddenly change Bruce Wayne to look like Idris Elba in the comics, you'd be like, "What are we reading here? When did this?" Yeah. Like, so eighty-five years. Okay, got you. But you you listen to us about the spines. You understand that we don't like this. Like, it's it's these weird things where we get it totally, and then when you say, "But what about this?" No, no, you can't say that. Oh, I got it. Okay. It has to line up. Yeah, they gotta line. And and this, you know, what really bothers me is that the letters on this one are a little bit higher. Like, why can't they just make it a quarter inch lower? Why can't they just put it like one centimeter? Yeah, I've I've said that. I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm making fun of myself. Um, we're 45 minutes in. I didn't realize that. And uh, let's episode get our two. Let's, episode two. Yeah. Um, can you go into a top five? Can we do it? I can go into a top five. Okay. I'm actually because of last week, last last month, wherever it was, when I just dribbled on. I thought this time I'm going to make some notes. <laughs> so I've made some notes. Okay. I have my top five. Shall, shall we? Shall we start? Yeah. Yeah. Lead the way. Okay. So I mean, the, the reason why we we would talking about this list is because um, I think it's just that it's very popular on social media um, to basically do this shorthand of 90s comics meaning crap Yeah, Um, and it's frustrating and like I've actually, a couple of people um, have been fairly abusive if I say anything positive about 90s comics Like your problem is you you like the 90s comics, like what? (laughs) <laughs> but a lot of the people that do slag off the 90s many of them were barely born or were yeah. born late 90s you know so so this is coming from largely from stuff they're going to pick up from fans from that era, era whose shorthand is going to be 90s sucked and then they're just saying the same because this is what happens with fandom basically everyone kind of falls into that agreement thing so now it's just factually yeah. The nineties, nineties comics sucked. So, <clears throat> I experienced that is- actually when um, I was getting back into the hobby and more attentive to books that that were meaningful and and kind of changed the um, the business, especially in the nineties. I was starting to listen to a lot more podcasts, and so I would go into these comic shops wherever I visited. So this one was in Florida and someone had turned, you know, their house into a comic shop, like full of dollar bins. Really cool. Wow. And so I was just like going through everything, finding whatever I could. And I found the uh, Death of Superman, poly-wrapped. Right. Still. Sealed. Sealed. Still. Sealed. One dollar. I've never seen it for a dollar. And I said, just so we're clear, like this is a dollar, right? He's like... Pretty much anything from the 90s is worthless. <laughs> Be- because, because, wow. and, and he, 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 he explained it. He didn't just say it snobbily. He goes, the reason, yeah. it's not, he said the reason why is because they were printing stuff to force collectability. So yeah. we have so much stuff from the 90s 
that whatever they, like he goes, X-Men number one sold the most comics of all time. So you're going to find them in dollar bins now. Yeah. And, and he was saying that a lot of the stuff back then, they were just throwing a lot of things at the wall, seeing what would stick for sales. So mm-hmm. it isn't, what he said was not false, but the consensus was 90s comics, eh, eh. Yeah. Right? You're right. Yeah. And, and I, can, I can understand that. I mean, the, the, from a context point of view, when it's, I mean, like, I'm English, obviously, or Irish, either or, you pick one, I don't mind. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, like Marvel UK joined in the whole comics boom, and pretty much all of what they did by that point was bad. It was just bad. Um, and it was kind of, a, it was a shame. It was a real missed opportunity. Like, Death's Head 2 was popular, but even then, really, when you read it now, especially, you're going, did this, how did this get through? Like, you could have made this really cool. The first miniseries was fun, and then... It's just a mess. And then they produce all these other characters and they're basically going, we need a magic character and we'll need a, a, a digitised pseudo-robot character. Should we flesh them out? <laughs> no! People are going to just buy this shit to speculate. Like, okay. Yeah. And that's how it felt. And there was a lot of that. But Marvel UK were a prime candidate. Yeah. At, uh, you know, at that. And I mean, there were so many new comic companies and there was, you know, even the, the big companies. How many comics were they producing a week like 30 books a week or something maybe it was insane when you look through old issues of Marvel Age and you go this is what's coming out this month and you go what how did anyone afford it I don't know I don't know. How did I afford it I, I ask myself all the time I'm like how did you accumulate all this shit it's good <laughs> it's good it's good shit I love it <laughs> but I don't want... I, if they ever said, here's your receipt of what you've spent, I don't want to see it. I don't want to know. Keep that to yourself. Keep that one in the Matrix. Don't show me. If we me. tapped cards then, I don't know if we did, but that would have been like, yep, just beep it. I don't want to look. I don't want to look. Yeah. I do that a lot leave. now. <laughs> I, I don't remember. Sometimes I go to my local comic shop and he just brings it up and I just... I didn't even look what it was. You're going to get it anyway, right? That's the thing. <laughs> I know what it, what each thing costs. I'm going to get it anyways. I'm not going to suddenly go, oh, that much? Okay, maybe maybe not. At this point, what are you doing? Um, with that said, what did you, what, 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 what is your number one? Where do you start? Well, I, I made a list yeah. and I realized how much was on, there was a lot on the list and to try and get five is really, really hard. That's, that's really cool. I like, I'm excited. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So I've done it in reverse, um, and I have done a top five because I thought like it was really hard to do a top five. I did like three versions, but I've got a top five. That's, this is um, exciting. So my number five is um, I reread it recently as well, so I'm fully justified. I know what what it was about. I remember enough. It was Avengers Forever because um, uh, as much as as popular as Kurt, I think people say Busick. Busick. Why I say. Busick. Busiek. Busiek. No, no, you said it. Busiek is good. Yeah. It's just okay. a fast version of Busiek. Busiek. <laughs> as much as people love that run, which was also 90s, 1998, Avengers number one, volume three, boom. 
90s. Thank you very much. We got two years worth out of that. That was that was an incredibly popular series and is still held up as one of the best Avengers series ever. It's from the 90s. Right. So you know, but I'm, I wasn't a huge fan of, of his stuff. Everyone was raving about that and I wasn't as into anywhere near as into it as anyone else. Like um, the George Perez art was was great, insanely detailed. Um I just didn't like his writing style for the most part. It was too heavy. I thought it was just like it was so dense. But Avengers Forever came out and it had that cast Pacheco artwork and it was tidying up a lot of the messes. It had Kang in it. And I love Kang. Um, and it was just, it was fantastic. It was just a roller coaster while also sweeping up all the stuff that had gone wrong before. But in a, such a brilliant way. Yeah. In a way that the person told cared. a story, a coherent story, yeah, and gave us that essentially an end to that war between Kang and Immortus. It was, it was just, it was fun. I mean, like reading it again, I did realize just how dense and heavy it was, and I'm not used to it. So nowadays, you can read a comic in like ten minutes because it's they're so comparatively sparse. So it gave you a lot of reading, but yeah, it's a. And it's a beautiful series. Like that artwork is just incredible. I think that was probably, I mean, not having read any of his DC stuff yet, certainly the best Marvel stuff that Carlos Pacheco had done. Yeah, it, it's. I I read most of my Marvel period in the last ten years, so I'm reading a lot of these things, um, being acclimated back into comics with the the trade era, you know, the yeah. Batman hush and, you know, the Jeff Loeb, Superman, Batman, Jeff Johns, that's the stuff I got back into. Yeah. So then I go back retroactively and read some of the most dense Marvel comics like you're referring to Avengers forever when I'm used to flying through a comic book. And this thing is like, it's, it's like reading a novel. People, people think, oh, you're reading comic books. It's not a real book. Hey, read this. Uh, read a Kurt Busiek comic. This will take you some time. Yeah. You know, Neil Gaiman's Sandman is a novel. It's not It's not just a five-minute comic book. But um, the language in it as well, it's not even just the, the amount of copy that's in it. It's like, this is not patronizing language. This is not aimed at children. This right. is like, they're Pay making attention. it grandiose and, you know, attention-grabbing and trying to give it this depth successfully giving it this depth um it was you know and that was the thing like reading that in 1998 to 99 that was really something to look forward to as well because you had a good solid read mm-hmm. once a month or it was delayed it was late i think a few, few issues were late um sorry give me a no problem oh this is cold man um yeah it was it was really something to look forward to. You, you got a you got a good chunk of comic there, even if it's twenty two pages. You're looking at a 35, 40 minute read if you're reading the panels the right way and right. getting it. It's justified pace. Hundred percent. So you got your money's worth. Yeah, that's a great pick. See, I wasn't sure if we were going to be doing um, all things, whatever was published, or if it was going to be you know a series, an ongoing couple that's years a bit of a mix oh no that's that's cool because because yeah 
I was looking at my shelf and thinking, what have you really fairly read from the 90s where you could properly give a top 10? And then I said, well, that's from the 90s, but that's only six issues. Well, that's from the, ah, that's only, you know, stuff yeah. like that. And thinking, I don't know if that counts. But okay, that, that changes I figure, a bit. Whatever you feel counts, counts. You know, I think that's where like that whole thing of, and I don't always do that Watchmen reference, but anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's up to you, kind of how you feel. So, like, I don't really stick to rules. <laughs> I like it. No, I and that's what I appreciate is that you, you know, you, what you what you feel, you feel. And you, yeah, if everyone thinks I'm crazy, all right, I'll own it. I still, that's how I feel. It's better. So it, I almost like when people get annoyed now because you go, like, "Why are you angry? I just, I just like something that you don't like, or I do, or or vice versa." You don't need to be angry about it. Like, it's only people, people go, like, how can you not like this? Or, like, I read something where someone's saying, oh, this just, I really didn't like this series. Like, well, it's a shame. I loved it. So it's a shame you didn't feel the same way I did, but... Yeah, I mean, you don't have to question whether or not your taste is good, right? There's play, There's a lot of things we both agree on, and then there's some books you're like, hated it. And I'm like, no, yeah. I wanted yeah. to talk about that with you. And <laughs> I can still love it. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. I won't think any less of much less. Than <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's the thing, like in terms of, in terms of Avengers, cause I, I prefer the Bob Harris run of, of Avengers. Okay. Which is probably, well, apart from the crossing. Um, but yeah, the, yeah, the, the black Knight, Cersei crystal era to the, to the Kurt Buzayek era. Mm. I can't, I had, How'd you say it was again? Um, <clears throat> Boos- uh, I'm not even going to try. Um, <laughs> respect to him though, but yes, I can't say your name, mate. I'm sorry. But yeah, I, I preferred that run. I probably I've got the omnibus recently. Right. But I'll probably read it. The Gatherers one, and I'll probably read it again and go, "Oh God, this is terrible." <laughs> <laughs> but I think I preferred it. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Um, but that's fine. <laughs> in in line with yours, I don't have an order. But the Avengers by Kurt Busiek, in general, is on my list. Uh, the highlight for me, of course, being uh, Avengers Forever. But the first thirty-five issues of him and George George Perez, which what I've read so far, I still have to finish the rest of the series. I I did a lot of that reading while on vacation in Italy, while riding right. on the bus, and I read it in a very happy place. Like I was mentally very happy. So I'll always associate that book with the best of whatever, like one of the best times of my life. And it was just, um, it was a comic book fans comic. Yeah. Right. And, and it wasn't, I wasn't reading this Avengers because the movie just came out and I liked it. This is like, this is getting into the thick of geekiness of Avengers. Right. (laughs) So I loved it. Yeah, he, he gave the fans what they wanted and hadn't seen for a long time. And I don't think we've seen that kind of that kind of mainstream Avengers comic since. Yeah. To be honest. No. You know, it's it's I mean new new Avengers changed everything. And we had the Ultimates, of course, which still is still an Avengers book, but that's influenced a lot of the, the oh, mainstream yeah. Marvel stuff. Um and the Hickman stuff, you know, like none of none of that really compares to that. But like, as much as it didn't really resonate with me, you can't deny that he really gave the fans exactly what they wanted. 
you know, yeah. as much whether, whether or not you like triathlon and silver claw. Um, but you know, right? There's enough else there that you can virtually ignore them. <laughs> and and I think I think the magic that him and George Perez cast in that role together is that they're this nexus point of the the BC and and AD I guess you could say of Avengers because they are the culmination of everything that the Avengers are in that moment they have the George Perez art that's very classic looking all of the big three are there they have some strange characters that they try to include the way they did in the 60s, right? There's always yeah. this, that's a team member thing. It's kind of campy at times, sometimes very deep, which is where it would go later, right? It got, there was yeah. moments where they took, you know, more real life type of issues and topics. And, they, and, and so he, it's that nexus point of the Avengers thus far where if you like this era more, you still might like this. And if you love yeah. the old stuff, this is still this is the best of the old stuff too. It's like an Avengers it's kind greatest, of the hits. greatest hits. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Snap. Yeah. It's it is essentially an Avengers greatest hits run. Um, and it, that's the thing. If you wanted to please, I mean, if you wanted to please someone that's maybe new to comics, I think that would be a nice one to give them. There's enough familiarity in there if they if they like the films. If they hadn't read Avengers, they stopped reading Avengers in the eighties. Yeah. There's enough. You know. It's it's. It's a nice balance. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think it hits all the sweet spots. Yeah. It's a sweet spot comic, yeah. It is. Um, what's your number two? Um, okay, I've gone for a left field one at this point because even to this day, when I remember this series existed, <laughs> every so often I'll think about it <laughs> and it was cancelled. And I still wish to this day that the creative team would get together and finish the story. Right, so this is actually as a recommendation. It's a tricky one, um, but I absolutely love this series. So um, it was Werewolf by Night um, hmm. by Paul Jenkins and Leonardo Monco. Um, it was just it was just, so it was under the Strange Tales banner in about nine. Uh, it was nineteen ninety eight, um, which was supposed to have Man Thing, Werewolf by Night, and, and a Satana series by Warren Ellis that never saw print. And I think it stemmed from the stuff that he'd done on Hellstorm, which is another incredibly popular and highly praised 90s series. Um, but yeah, the highlight for me was Werewolf by Night. And it, they did six issues, and then it that and Man Thing were both cancelled and combined into Strange Tales for two issues, which is supposed to be an ongoing anthology book, and then that was cancelled after two issues. But it was just, they were building something nice in there and it was just a good really strong horror book but it was i mean strange tales titles were supposed to be like vertigo it was going to tap into that audience um but they chickened out and went pg on it at the last minute so which is why warren ellis couldn't run satana because that was not going to be for kids um but that's what they did but um yeah werewolf by night it looks incredible um, that artwork is so cool. It's so dark and gritty and menacing. And the thing is, like, I have a really particular image in my mind of what a, a good werewolf looks like. Um, but sometimes he's drawn like he's got a human face and sometimes he's drawn like he's got a wolf face in various different comics. This kind of explains to a degree why that is. And they were try- I think it looked like they were trying to give his story an ending, mm. finally. Um, 
but yeah, it was it essentially lasted eight issues and then it was cancelled. If they ever get to finish that, I would literally, I'll pay them myself to finish this series. I absolutely loved it, and I no you. one was buying it. <laughs> That's fine. Was, I will oh. pay them myself. <laughs> oh man, I you, will sell one of my children. Yeah. I that I like that the second pick is very different from the first. You didn't do your, you know, regular like that regular theme what people might think of the 90s. That's cool. Yeah. And and it's a deep cut. Like I think you're much more well read in this. I mean, you're for those who don't know, the Marvel Comics guy page is run yeah. by you. Like you're a Marvel expert in a way. It's safe well, to say. Weird. Yeah, but Heavy. Yeah, but responsibility. I mean, but you're, you're, that's your interest, right? That, that, that's yeah. something you invest your time in. So it makes sense that you would have a good sort of take on these, in the 90s, especially since you lived through that. Yeah, and I, I read, I think like the, the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, those three decades, I've read a lot and I owned a lot and I've reread a lot and examined it. And when you write these, I write those pieces about how those stories slot together. It's it's complicated. I've got like spreadsheets to show how the entire continuity goes together from those, or from like the sixties up to two thousand and fifteen. But yeah, they're the three decades that were key because they, they were when I was having the most fun. Started in the eighties, started to lose interest twenty twelve ish. So before that, those three decades were like they were it. That was the golden age for me, cool. and and like that was the thing with the nineties. I think as well as so where people go, the nineties were crap. And you go like, but there was so much there, which was half the problem. That's the problem. That it, it kind of masks the fact that there was some really good stuff, but no one was buying it because there was too much to buy. So no one was buying Wells by Night because it was post boom. Mm-hmm. So the, the the market was dropping out. The um or the bottom was dropping out of the market. Marvel nearly Marvel was nearly sold on or stopped completely. So they cut down their titles, but a lot of the audience drifted away. Right. So and then we had Heroes Reborn and we you know and I think like nineteen ninety eight that would have been when Avengers that that series we literally just discussed restarted. Um and Marvel Knights and that kind of stuff came around. But it was I think it was just a a bunch of titles too far. So, but that's the thing. They, they these issues and these miniseries and these little runs on certain titles exist, but people just don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's true. And and when you fairly look back at it, right, I think there's a pocket of the '90s that a lot of the crap falls into a portion of years. Of course, every year there's this, there's this and that, right? There's not everything's yeah. a hit, but. Going into the 90s, there was some really cool stuff. Yeah. That just kind of flowed into it. It was really good. And then you start to see that the sales and things are spiking. And once they once they had a good thing, like something on my list, but maybe I'll, I'll, I'll spoil it now. Um, the Clone Saga. The Spider-Man book was a very engaging book. You kept following it. It kept selling for a reason. The art was beautiful consistent there had like even when it transitioned from mcfarland to larson to bagley it was it felt okay when nothing was jarring about it and then you you find yourself on this story that's intriguing especially in his marriage you see it developing and then there's this clone 
and 30 yeah. years of history is brought back and you're wondering what's what it was it's almost like a wonderful tv show that said we don't know the ending we can't just keep going like lost right a lot of people yeah, when lost was out lot. lost was the show guard uh you know game of thrones was the show and then he got to the ending and you're like okay let's wrap this up or what the heck that's how you ended yeah. it i think the clone saga has that sort of um it, that's what happens. It, it became the series that was so good that let's spin it off and let's spin it off and let's spin it off. Yeah. Let's drag it out. I mean, that's what they do with a lot of stuff. Like, as soon as... I think they did that with, when they said they were going to make Preacher. They said, okay, we're, we're going to make Preacher, but we're going to, we need it to last five years. But you don't need it to last five years as a TV series. No, that was like before they made the, the Amazon series. Years before that, they newly made it into a TV series. And they went like, we, we want it to last five, six years. But don't because you're gonna you're gonna water it down. But that's how we do it. Like stop it. Like tell the story you want to tell. Yeah. Make it a strong story. And that was. I mean, there are some nice bits in the clone saga, but there were some mistakes. Yeah. But we like the end. I thought the ending was good. Yeah, I didn't mind the ending myself. I'm happy that it went that route instead of what they had originally planned to do. That, I think, would have been more, like, why? This is cool to keep us guessing, but at the end of the day, you got to pay some sort of, not I don't know, fan service, but we followed this guy. Leave it be. Yeah. It, I don't know. It just cheapens it for what me. Were they, what was it they were going to do? They wanted to make Ben Rowley the real Peter. He's the original. Oh, what, in terms of keeping him as the real Peter? Right. He was yeah. going to stay Ben Riley, but you're going to find out that he's the original and Peter Parker, Mar- Mary to Mary, is a clone. Yeah. And it's like, why? What for? Why would why? It's a good story can work. And and Ben Riley could stick around. Mm. Just leave it be. I, I like the character. It's very 90s, the whole vest and the suit and all of that. I get it, but it... It's nostalgic enough. I remember those comics being something we all talked about, the guessing game. And again, it moved the story. The, the big things for me were more where it took the main character, making yeah. him question himself, making him question his sanity if he's a danger to his family and to his marriage and having to confront um, his, you know, spoilers, Aunt May dying. Which they took yeah. away. There's, there was a lot of important things that happened to the character along the way, which is what makes the comics good. Not that the whole, every issue's a great 10 out of 10, but they're like television episodes. Yeah. But there was a lot. I mean, like... Way too that much. That was when you were getting... It, it was too much. But it was four titles. So you, it was basically weekly. Yeah. You know, that was that weekly was and TV then series. some. Weekly and then yeah. some. That yeah, was the yeah, thing. that's true. Because we had unlimited as well. The tie-in minis. Yeah, it's it's a shame. I mean, the thing is, even when they did decide that Ben wasn't the clone, they won't completely. It's like when you read it again now, and you go, "Oh wait, well, you're kind of still going. We're not sure. We're just going to sew this just in case people don't yeah. like it." Yeah. And that was, I think that was the problem. Like, if they, if they were going to do that and say that it was the case and then undo it, right? then do it, say it's the case. No, don't then go, oh, and he's found some more clone bones. I see where you're going with it. Just commit for a bit and then change it back if you want. 
Yeah, yeah. And so I enjoyed, I read those again, the whole thing in its completion just a couple of years ago in the trades. I was doing a Spider-Man binge going through the years and um, uh, I, I liked it. Tom DeFalco, Jam DeMatteis, got some, some seasoned writers who care about the character. You know, you yeah. knew that they were, they wanted to tell stories that were meaningful to the character. Good art. I didn't care for, you know what I didn't like? Um, I normally like Sal Buscema. I know you don't really care for his Spider-Man art, but I didn't like him inked by Bill Sienkiewicz. No, neither did I. It was too much Bill Sienkiewicz. I yeah, felt. it was, it was a, it didn't work as a combination. It just didn't work. No, I wasn't a big fan of that myself. It seems weird to think of him as an inker anyway. Yeah, and he's he's done it more than we think. But whenever he does, it's it really feels like him almost and and I don't know how I feel about that type of inker when they overpower the artist's pencils. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I mean the thing is that his style is so well, his style it's almost like he shouldn't be with anybody else. Yeah. It, it yeah. needs to be his own thing or it doesn't really work. Yeah. No, I, but, but there's, you know, Mark Bagley art. You've got some, yeah. some, some newcomers coming up during that time too. I think Liam Sharp was, was doing some Spider-Man. Like it was kind of cool to go back in time and see who yeah, actually worked on that book and which artists and, and all that kind of stuff. So I enjoyed it, but I saw where it went. Ugh. This is neat. Yeah, it wasn't perfect. I mean, the the the, the mini series of the Scarlet Spider books, I don't think really worked, and they're really dated now as well. The the Cyber War stuff. I didn't um, see. I didn't read. In fairness, I didn't read the full Clone Saga because I know the Ben Riley era when he takes over. Uh, I didn't read any of that. Oh, there's some nice stuff in there though. Yeah, I think like <clears throat> the Spider Man title that became Peter Parker Spider-Man when John Romita Jr. comes back for me even though I love the Bagley stuff he Romita Jr. does the definitive Ben Riley mm. for me like the onslaught tie-in the the what's it, Jimmy Six stuff like with the I think it's the cover of Spider-Man 74 with Daredevil and Spider-Man together it is just it's an, one of my favourite covers of all time and that costume just looks so cool the Ben Riley costume I think is cooler than the classic Spider-Man costume. You the the one that the um, Spider Girl wears. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It is cool. I I I enjoyed the Clone Saga as silly as that sounds. I know it's not. It's one of the things that sucks about the '90s for a lot of people, <laughs> right? But for me, the nostalgia of it. It was a. It's still something referred to, right? It's something that made an impact in that character's story, even to modern comics yeah so definitely but that was that was an i guess my example of it was a good thing going too far yeah yeah there's better than that dave give us another one that's better than that (laughs) (laughs) okay um this isn't really my answer although this could easily be the answer um so mutant genesis was the the relaunch period of, of the X-Men 1991. So that was your Jim Lee, Claremont, X-Men number one, run on that. There was the um, Peter David on X-Factor. You had Life Out in... Oh, terrible surnames, aren't they? Yes, thank yeah, you. Yeah. 
on X-Force. Um, but for me, it was Alan Davis on Excalibur. I love, love those Alan Davis Excalibur issues. So it's 40, issue 42. Um, I've actually had to write it down because I'm terrible with numbers. It's 42 to 52, then 54 to 58, then 61 to 67. So there's a couple of gaps where Scott Lobdell wrote some two-parters. But it's genuinely funny. So when Excalibur started, and I remember finally tracking down those issues with Chris Claremont, <clears throat> excuse me, Chris Claremont and Alan Davis, and it's kind of like the funny X-Men book. It's not funny. Like it's, Chris Claremont is not funny, and he needs to stop. Uh, it's, oh, no. Um, but I loved Alan Davis' art. Right, right, right. But, oh, I can't, I can't read that. Like, it's when he has to tell you that he's making a joke. That's because the joke doesn't work, Chris. Right. Stop it. Um, it's bad. So, but when Alan Davis came back, he wrote it. I think it's the first time he'd written a series. Hmm. I could be wrong. But yeah, 1991, I'm fairly sure. Well, he might have written a little bit of Captain Britain here and there. But um, yeah, it's, it's funny. It's a genuinely funny book. And then it also has this enormous kind of gravitas to it with Phoenix, with Rachel Summers, mm. trying to figure out her place in the universe. Like, she's kind of been Phoenix since 1986, but we've not really explained it or done anything with it, apart from her kind of going, I'm going to kill the Beyonder. Go on then. You decided not to. <laughs> okay. And then they just sort of left it, and she existed. But yeah, so they brought her into Excalibur, and he basically went, I'm going to explore that, She'll be in and out of the series and she'll meet death and she'll, you know, this will finally wrap up the Days of Future Past stuff. And then at the same time, they're also explaining who Widget is. You know, they just, there's some random weird stuff that <laughs> happens with some of these characters. Uh, Psylocke comes back and they kind of explore the relationship between her and Captain Britain. Um, and they explore each of the characters as well on the team. So like they, they um, explore Megan a bit more because she was just a bit of a non-character. And they spend time with them, and they literally just wander off and just like, I'm going to go and see a fortune teller. Okay, I'll come with you. It's like, it's just, it's it's more soap opera than the X-Men have ever been, but it's also a comedy, and it's also an insane cosmic drama. It's brilliant. And when they announced that the, the Excalibur Volume 2 omnibus was coming out, I didn't bother with Volume 1, and now I'm kicking myself, because I can't have a Volume 2 and not have a Volume 1. Yeah, I know. But I'm getting Volume 2. So they better goddamn release that volume one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Again. It's so, oh man, it's so true, right? Because I'm, I, I um, purchased or pre-ordered the uh, Inferno Prologue Omnibus uh-huh. because I didn't really care for the Inferno Omnibus that much, like the extra stories associated with it. Um, yeah. I like the main story. I have that in that milestone trade and I'm like, ah... I don't want that whole omnibus for the issues I like. I have those already. But now if I get that infernal prologue, how could I not have the story? It looks ridiculous. And it's just, it's like, oh, you're an idiot. <laughs> prologue to nothing. Prologue to nothing, yeah. Originally when they did it, they had Inferno and Inferno crossovers. Right. And that's much more comfortable because if you didn't want the crossovers, you could just not get it. Yeah, it's like I did with Age of Apocalypse. I didn't get the crossover. Just to me, it's a much nicer way of doing it. Yeah, I agree. But 
at that after I think would it be issue two hundred like after once we get in past the mutant massacre, it becomes a bit more of a, it starts to become more of like you got to read this too now. If you're not reading it, you got to start soon to get the full story. You yeah. end up it, it it turns into that crossover hell that I think creators and fans some love and and some dread. It's like I'm buying Power Pack. Why? <laughs> not not nothing against Power Pack. I like I love Louise Simonson and and John Bogdanov, but you just like I wanted to just read X Men. Why this? But that's part of the journey, right? That's why we end up reading so much. So it is. Um, Excalibur. I'm gonna I'm gonna think about that now because I have the first two trades of the Epic collections, and then I wasn't sure if I wanted to continue. But the Alan Davis uh, um, volume that had come out, I'm like, well, that looks good. Yeah, it is good. It's, was, it's just lovely. It's lovely. It's like fun comics. Yeah, and you I know how much you. Wrong. Yeah, I know how much you love Alan Davis too. So it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, after the Heroes Reborn era of of the '90s, a lot of good stuff comes out. Like yeah. high watermark series for these characters, it's always in the top five you see them, right? If you want to read the best of these, it's usually in this pocket of time, 97 to 90 or to 2000. And I, yeah. for me, one of them might be, it might be my favorite run of this character is Mark Waid's Captain America. Uh, I love that series. I'm glad you said that because it loitered <laughs> on my list. Does it, are you counting the initial run? Like yeah. pre Heroes Reborn as well. Yeah. What he worked on, what whatever would be collect out and that's an omnibus I regret not getting because Same. I I actually really like his work on that character a lot. Yeah. And in the nineties it's it's not I don't want to say it's a perfect comic, but it's a perfect nineties comic of that fantastic superhero drama and ridiculous effects like no he can't do that but this is comics that's what we can do in the comics and in a Captain America book you get it all it's really good yeah it's, it's also really understated I think so which I really liked about it because like especially where you've got Kurt and George on Avengers and then you've got Cap in this other book where it's like you're not I think they kind of stopped doing thought balloons at that point at least in in Cap, I don't remember there being that many. He didn't say a huge amount. Sometimes it was like he only spoke when he needed to say something, um, and it just felt right. There was a really good feeling about, it. but he still knew who he was. Yeah, and I, that was ah, oh, it was. There was something incredibly pleasing about that series. Totally, and and the art team, like the casting of the creative between Kubert and Garney, just the right mix getting that yeah. and, and with Mark Wade's story behind it they just cap everything about that for me was just right so just a and it's and it is the most you know in many ways it's it's fantastic yeah in and not 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 in a in a review point of view but just the fantastical aspect of Captain America on these adventures yeah but it there's still a weightiness to it where when you get to the Brubaker era which is, you know, for many, the comic to read of Cap. Number yeah. one, number two, number three. It has a tone that 
I feel it's missing something. Whereas I don't feel Mark Wade's cap is missing anything. Oh, that's interesting. When it comes to that character. Yeah. I, I, just, I just like the things, that, the situations he put him in. Like, I know a lot of people don't have the same affection for the, the second half of the run, obviously, where it's broken up by Heroes Reborn. I like that run, though. And I Me like too. the whole thing of him having a different shield and him trying to figure out the perception of America in other countries and and pitting him against enemies that he'd not fought before, like just cap against the Skrulls. And the thing is, having that, what was he called? Oh, what was he called? It was like he pretended to be the Hydra leader. But he, spoilers, he was a Skrull. Um, but like he was called like the, the immense Hydra or the, it was something kind of funny. And he was... It was it was kind of silly. and then having him against nightmare and I just loved it because you didn't you didn't know what you were going to get but you it still and, and that's one of the best things you can do with any character it's like we've established them we know the kind of stories we expect to see them and we're going to give you a little bit of that and now we're going to throw them into something that we're not used to seeing in them and see what they do and he did that and it's like it's still he's still very much Captain America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, think it worked. Yeah, and I think more recently from what I've read, because I, I kept up a little bit with the most recent run on Cap, but now when people say things or like they question writer choices or editor choices on it, people get into yeah. that whole, oh, well, if you don't know, Cap has always been on this political side of it. And like, no, that's the cool thing about Captain America is you don't know his politics. No. He he's not a he'll never tell you who he's voting for. No, and and that was a whole story in the burn. Right, exactly is that he doesn't take a side in the matter. What he he is as objective of a patriot as you can be, and sometimes he's on the side where you're like, I didn't expect him to be on that side. It would make more sense, and I would actually believe it more if he took the other side. Like, I'd side with him. Like, in the Civil War. Yeah. I would have expected him to be on that side. And I would have followed him on that side. But yeah. for him to take the other side, it's like, you know what? Yeah, I think Cap would do what you wouldn't necessarily expect. That's what makes the character interesting. Yeah, it is. But that's the thing. Like, he is seeking an ideal. And that's one of the things I think like people misunderstand about that, about that character. They're kind of like, especially when you talk to people who aren't American, as I know many, because I don't live there. But when people go, he's just so like, you know, pro-America, because a lot of people have an issue with that. You're like, but he, it's not, he's not that. It's about the ideal. He's trying to figure out. He's still trying to figure it out what's right and what direction things should be going in. And he knows that people look to him like it's an incredibly pressured role. And he is still a man out of time. He's, he's a, he's a, I think he's a fantastic character. But yeah, I mean, in terms of yeah, people misunderstanding, if you, if, you, if you don't fully understand Captain America, Mark Wade's run is, is one that I think would set you straight. Yeah, and again, similar to the Busick Perez, it's Captain America Greatest Hits. Yeah. It, it just really captures is. a little bit of everything. Yeah, it's a really good choice. Yeah. I, I, I like that run, and I, I, that's one that I may 
I don't know what I would remove off my shelf for Cap because I realize sometimes I like characters more than I realize. You ever have those moments where like, man, I think I love this character and I uh-huh. didn't know that I, it would mean this much to me where I want all of Busick's, uh, sorry, not Busick, uh, Brubaker's run because it's great. Yeah, it really is. And then I really, really love, like I just said, Mark Wade's run and I didn't mind the, the Remender and Dimension Z with Ramita. I didn't mind it. I enjoyed that. I, ha- I thought it had some heart to it. I want to read that again because that was when I was becoming really disillusioned with it. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I didn't really like Uncanny X-Force when I first read it. But I read it again and went, oh, you moron, what's wrong with you? And, I, and then when they announced the, the Rick Raymond um, Captain America Omnibus, I thought like, you, maybe you need to get it. I just can't because there's too many other things. Right. But um, yeah. I'd like to give that another shot because I do feel that was probably another interesting exploration in, into that into that character in terms of what he puts him through. Yeah, that was the thing. It was different. And, yeah. and you spent a different type of time with the character, which is what I enjoyed. Um, I can't think of like a real... I'm sure, I know there are, but when I think of Jam DeMatteis, Captain America, I really like Jam DeMatteis, so I'm biased. Then you got Byrne and Stern for that little bit of time classic yeah. and then you get into mark um Greenwald. Greenwald, thank you and again he set so much in place for that character so it's yeah did did did, did, the, did the character go through some highs and lows of course but you it, it's worthwhile to pick one of those and stick with it because you're going to get something different each time yeah yeah it's it's a good character it's i think it's sometimes an, an underrated mainstream character who's extremely popular but you don't realize how many good stories there are within his his history. Yeah, Mark, Mark Wade's up there fair. for me. Yeah. All right, next for you. I don't know what number. I think you're on f- your fourth pick. Fourth? Okay, this seems really obvious, but I didn't think of it for a while, and I was kicking myself. Um, so, Weapon X by Barry Windsor Smith. Um, yeah. I, the first time I read it, I was confused. And I read it again, <laughs> and I liked it. But I read it again a little while ago because I was I was covering it for the Marvel Comics Guide, and I, I just that was that was it. I, it's like it clicked, and I got it. And I don't know if it's because I was older. I I don't know. Maybe it's because I wasn't reading eight pages every couple of weeks, which is how it was produced. Because like Marvel Comics Presents was a weird series. Like there was a lot of you get four stories in each issue eight pages long, sometimes like experimental artists and writers. And a lot of it was bad. Um, like you, if you go back and look now, there's like random, there's a random puck story by Joe Maggiorero. And he also did a Mirage story, Danny Moonstar story as well. And you said so there's some little weird little gems in there. Um, a couple of Sam Keith issues. There's, you know, there's some random stuff, but a lot of it was, it was odd and sort of bad, unnecessarily weird. Yeah. yeah, you kind of think like, who's your audience here? Like, what's going to make anyone want to pick this up? I don't know if that was part of the reason why they decided to run Weapon X in that series, but it was a surprise. They could have done it as a that was the era of doing like a nice, yeah, decent, kind of, literally what a graphic novel is supposed to be. You know, right, right. standalone book that isn't appearing anywhere else. But they did it as, a, as eight pages every couple of weeks in Marvel Comics Presents. You read that in one sitting, 
it's it is trippy as hell and that was like the origin of of wolverine essentially mm-hmm. um but his art is insane like his art is ridiculous and the feel of it is so claustrophobic yeah. and it's visceral violence even though i don't know how much of it is in my head and how much you actually see thinking about it like it's 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 a nasty little storyline um but that was like at the time we we it was that was when Wolverine had no memory of right. anything. That was when we didn't know anything about his history. And he gave us the origin of how he got the adamantium on his on his paints. And it could have been a pretty simple story, but he gave it this really kind of almost like horror level mm. depth to it. It was it's fantastic and I highly recommend it. Yeah, it's it's definitely something you gotta have in your if you're gonna collect anything Wolverine that's probably top of the pile. Yeah. And it's just a marvel to look at, no pun intended. It's it's <laughs> it's really something to feast your eyes on, to see what you can do with storytelling like this. Yeah. And you, I think that's a good way to put it, the claustrophobic. It does have that feel with the art. Yeah, it really does. And as you say about storytelling as well, and you think like, as a crowd pleaser, origin of Wolverine thing, that's, it's not what you'd expect. And it, I don't think it was what I expected as a kid. And especially that ending. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to spoil it. And I don't know if I can spoil it. Because I'm still not sure I get it. You know, well, I do get it, I think. But mm-hmm. I, I, I guess the whole thing is you can interpret it. Yeah. Still. Yeah. However you want to interpret it. Which is probably um, what it was meant, meant to do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's great. And it still works. I just think it's fantastic. It's brilliant, and it's so well written. Good pick, man. It's making me regret not being a little bit more, having a little more taste. (laughs) I I actually want to cheat. I want to cheat and and make an addendum. I want to take out the Clone Saga and add Thunderbolts to go with the Avengers. The Kurt Busiek. Thunderbolts on my list and took them off. I'm sorry. No, it's cool. I'm glad you've got them in because I I literally took them off and and now they're now they're in there. Where they belong. Yeah, I haven't I haven't read the majority of the Thunderbolts, but I've read a um I would say the first twenty five issues or so of what <gasps> Kurt Busick and Bagley did. And um, it's my type of it's my type of book. It's again, the dense, very colorful, superhero y type of artwork from Bagley. It makes me feel like a kid when I read it, but it's got layers to it. As fun and um, playful as the the artwork may seem there's a lot of sinister things going on within these cute looking characters in a way right because um bagley makes his stuff just look like a cart like a cartoon come to life animated series you know you want to look at it if you like superheroes and um these characters are so layered it's like the it's like the marvel suicide squad in a way but maybe more interesting because they're not secret. They're very public. But all of their intentions are very secret. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a cool book that is going at the same time and tying in with what's going on in the Avengers book. So I'm going to eliminate the Spider-Man and I'm just going to put that in there. <laughs> and and, and I'll, I'll go into the next book that I want to list now that I've got space. Um, I'm trying to think if I should go... Pre, you you make me decide. Should I go pre 
Heroes Reborn or post? Pre. Pre, okay. Let's try pre. I'm going to say Silver Surfer by Jim Which Starlin. Oh. When Jim Starlin goes on to... So I even like the Steve Englehart stuff that started it off. I enjoyed that actually a lot more than I expected to. I'm, and I, I'm happy I did because you never want to dislike a comic you buy. But I did like that a lot. That made me want to read where Jim Starlin would take it because I started to yeah. get a, a, a you know oh if, if this where the book is where is Jim Starlin going to take it oh it goes into Infinity Gauntlet so the whole Silver Surfer Thanos that everything happening that leads into that huge event it's a cheat but yeah Jim Starlin Silver Surfer even going into Ron Mars during that time I would count Infinity Gauntlet in there as just as being an overall it's a storyline. That's the storyline. Yeah. It starts you know? in Silver Surfer. Yeah. It's, I mean, potentially, I think I would say I probably almost preferred the Silver Surfer issues to the Infinity Gauntlet because I love the build-up. Like, the build-up is so good. When people go, like, I've talked to numerous people, they go, do I need to read the Silver Surfer issues? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know what? You don't need to. You want to. Yeah. That's the difference, isn't it? Yeah. Because... Like, you could go straight into Infinity Gauntlet. You'll be fine. But it's just so good. Like, what he does to him and, and the exploration of Thanos, because I'd never read anything with Thanos in, until that point. That was my first experience of him, and I immediately loved him. Because he's a, one of the most complex Marvel villains. My, uh, yeah. Is he a villain? Well, yeah, he is blatantly not a good guy. But he's not just like, Bwahaha, I'm no. ultimate power, or, you know, I'm just going to just screw with things, just to screw with things. Yeah, he's, he's the villain that you go, crap, he's right. Agenda. He's right, crap. <laughs> Do I agree with the bad guy? He, that's how he makes you feel. And you're yeah. like, oh no. That I actually believe in what he's saying in my own person. Like, if, for people, you know, who might be religious, he's saying stuff, you're like, that's why we need God to come back. And, like, and you're like, yeah, you really? Yeah, that, that's what you can get. <laughs> you might get a Thanos <laughs> to set things right. That's how it makes you kind yeah. of feel when you when you, when you he talks in, in those issues. And I read, I read the Infinity Gauntlet one time. I just picked it up. Read the Infinity Gauntlet. I liked the art. I didn't, get, I didn't appreciate the story. I went back and I read Silver Surfer with Thanos Quest and then Infinity Gauntlet and I said yes. oh this is amazing that's yeah. Like, yeah it changed it changed me strangely enough it kind of should I mean it's one of those moments I think where you kind of go oh is this what comics can be um, I got a friend of mine into comics for the course of one month essentially but there was one title he came back to for a little while and it was Silver Surfer just because like you're literally just going, where are you going to take this? Mm-hmm. This is, you're starting what seems to be really small and this is going somewhere big and it can't not, and even when it's playful and they throw in the impossible man and they, they trap the surfer in Dynamo City and all this other stuff and like, you know, him, the, the whole soul soul gem mm. storyline. and So he's, he's drawing on that history and also like in terms of bringing characters back unnecessarily, that's always something that buzz, bugs me. I didn't know the history. Of, I didn't know who Adam Warlock was. Mm. I didn't really know much. Of, I knew about Thanos, but I didn't know. I hadn't read anything, but I knew enough, uh, you know, enough I think. Um, 
but it was all done very logically. Mm-hmm. So it's not just kind of throw away. Let's just bring everyone everyone back because it's like. And it was the person, the person who made those characters, those characters. Like yes. you let the you let the person he played with the toys that he already had put in place. Yeah, he killed them. Yeah, so it made for him to be the one to do that. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I love it. That was series. fantastic. It's it's an excellent it's just an excellent run, and it's just again it's like pure fun comics. Yeah, yeah. No, it was great. I enjoyed it, and again reading it. 25 plus years later I was wondering I think I, I hope I like this and it really it did it really changed my interaction with certain subgenres within the superhero genre because within the superhero genre you got you know your street level characters then you got your more Superman Wonder Woman and then you could go, you could go cosmic and sometimes yeah. you could go really cosmic where we're psychedelic here and uh-huh. When you read those stories and you see what they can do with the with the, uh, what do they call it? The personification of infinity and eternity and chaos and order. It's awesome. Yeah, I like that stuff. It's shamelessly big, but also incredibly playful. Yeah, and it's you can't not have fun with that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so Silver Surfer, I think, would be my fourth. Excellent choice. And I'm glad you said it because it was one that was on my list that I took off. Oh, good. See, that's why we're going back and forth. Cool. Okay, I'm gonna do a little cheat. I'm gonna do. I've got a little list of the ones that I didn't include before I hit my number one. Okay. So I won't mention the ones we talked about, but the ones that I nearly made it. Um, Age of Apocalypse. I I mm. love as an event, and I still think it really works as an event. Oh. Now it still reads well. There's some bits that are a bit weaker. Of course, but, but it's so big. It's, oh, it's, it's great. It's just great fun to read. And they really fleshed that out. Four months we had it. That was all we had. But it, it really made a mark. Um, it was pick. fantastic. Yeah. Really well planned out. Then we, we still had payoffs, even though it's from an alternate universe. But it didn't make it. Deadpool by Joe Kelly we mentioned. Um I didn't mention Kazar by Mark Wade, but I really, really love that series. I have and to read it. I have to read it. Oh, it's so good. It's just so, but it's, it's on that same level as Cat for me. That's and it. And it was the series that made me realize that Andy Kuber is actually a good artist. Yeah. <laughs> I like him. I like Andy Kuber. Yeah. Him and his brother. I like them both. I, I There's certain feelings that you get when you see certain artwork on the page, whether I'm not, I don't have a good critical eye from a artist perspective so it becomes more of a feeling for me so when i see x-men andy kubert x-men jim lee x-men i'm like yeah that's that's how they kind of look in my head when i think of them i think kubert was unlucky with x-men in terms of the inca i don't think that did him i can't remember who it was but i don't think it did him justice and i think he was also finding his feet while ironically not drawing any um (laughs) Yeah, when he got to, like, towards the end of his X-Men run, it starts to tidy up a bit, and then he got to, to Kazar. It's like, this, it, the covers are awesome. The, the, the way he's telling the story is shamelessly bombastic and in your face, while also having these really emotional moments about a guy who's struggling to be a father. Yeah. It's, it's great. It's a fantastic series. 
Um, and again, it's one of those ones that people forget about because it's it wasn't a top tier book. Yeah, I I'd like to see that in a um, a complete one because I know they got the two trades you can find, but it'd be yeah. nice to have that collected in a res- like a respectable presentation. Like, read this. This is good. Omnibus, please. It's twelve issues though, right? Uh, sixteen, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, they could omnibus it, but well, I mean, there's like a couple of times as well, like the, the flashback one shot. There's another, I think there's another one shot, but now I can't, that, um, part of it appears in Tales of the Marvel Universe number one, so it starts in there. Um, I've got a feeling there's one more of the, uh, there might, no, I don't think there is. They can get 20 issues out of it. It was an annual, there was an annual, 97 annual, that was it. So yeah, there'd be enough, I think, for an Omni. Okay. If they really wanted to, sorry, I'm going to cough while. No, no problem. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's so these these are your honorable mentions. I thought for a second that was your fifth. No, these are your honorable mentions. Okay. I've only got three more. And I promise I'll hit you no. with the, the big one. And it's gonna be a really obvious one. When you say it, you're going, no. <laughs> <laughs> um so they were and you, these might be your number one as well, so sorry if I'm no. spoiling anything. But Daredevil by Kevin Smith. Okay. Um yep. that was fantastic. That was what Daredevil needed as well at that point in time. Black Panther by Christopher Priest came out exactly the same time and I absolutely love that series and I think those 1998-99 issues were the strongest of that run mm-hmm. um, and it gets such a shocker in terms of the kind of storytelling that you were getting it wasn't what you were getting from any other series at least not a superhero series mm-hmm. um, yeah loved it the other one which is going to be a surprise especially after what I said earlier was Gambit Volume 3 which was the Fabian series with Steve <laughs> Scrooge. <laughs> I, I just, I'm not even going to try. With um, Steve Scrooge, who, like, I, I, he did um, he did a fantastic four part Wolverine blood debt story, which I don't think, God, was that 90? No, that was early 2000s, I think. But yeah, Steve, um, Steve Scrooge drew Gambit for about 12 issues almost. It's a really good heist silly fun mutant series mm-hmm. um and they need to re-release it i think they did release it in trade paperback format and i passed it up because i was thinking like nope wait for the omnibus still waiting for the omnibus and i don't want it to be like a massive gambit omnibus with all the other stuff that i don't care about when i just want that 25 issue right right, series. right. but the, the first 12 13 issues were in the 90s and they were the strongest okay they're Very really cool. good comics um, nice so picks. my number one, mm-hmm. thank you. Uh, my number one is issues three hundred and sixty-five at the start of nineteen ninety, or around there, to four hundred and sixty-seven. Incredible Hulk mm. by Peter Davis. I didn't know that was your number one. No, no, I did not know that would be your number one. It makes sense. I and I know that uh, the the little bit we've spoken about the Incredible Hulk run in the past, I know how much those issues mean to you. But I there's so many to pick. I I think yeah. that there's a lot of good stuff in the nineties. Yeah. Prior to what people think, I think there's sh- some of the a lot of the things people like right now in the movies. You can think that to way older comics than what yeah, you've you gotten in the last twenty years for sure. Uh-huh. So yeah, there's a lot to pick from. But go ahead. I mean those those issues we were talking about how, you know, I mean, I think you're right. I think like 1993, 95-ish was the, that was the tricky spot in mainstream comics, if not comics as a whole. 
But even through there, there were some there were some bits that weren't as strong. But the Hulk, that is like he started in nineteen eighty seven. I think he jumped on the series, and then he carried on writing it till nineteen ninety eight. So, I mean, the some of the eighty stuff is great, but it really picks up in the nineties when Del Keown comes on as artist. Keown and Peter David together some of the best comics I've ever read in my life then you've got Gary Frank comes on and then you've uh, Liam Sharp comes on for a bit it doesn't quite work the Angel Medina stuff isn't it's, it's a bit tricky at times I don't know if he was the best artist choice but then you had Adam Kubert came on as artist towards the end and that ending as well the last issue where he basically he got fed up with being told what he had to do with the character because no one cared he was given that because no one wanted it. He came from sales. And no one comes from sales and writes comics. That's not done. But he did. They went, you can have Hulk. No one cares about Hulk. It's basically constantly on the verge of cancellation. So he got it. He made it a top-selling series by 1991. And then they started telling him what he could and couldn't do. Like, well, I've made this sell. So trust me. And they were going, no, it has to tie into this crossover. It's going to be part of this. You're going to, have, you know, you can't do that. So by issue, what was it? Five, oh, I can't remember. I'm terrible with numbers. Four, six, seven was the last issue, I think. Um, I'll write it down, but I'm not convinced. <laughs> um, yeah, he basically, his story was what he would have done if he'd carried on with the series. And it's one of the best issues in the whole run. And it was basically a middle finger to Marvel by going, if you just stopped harassing me this is what you would have got and it's it's such an incredible literally <laughs> ending wow. I, I'm um, looking so forward I can't to reading it, it highly enough. I'm, I have I, I'm looking forward to reading it I haven't read it yet I've read the first uh, omnibus I have the next volume 2 and 3 on my shelf it's very close to me picking those up and, and digging deep into them what did you make of volume 1 then? I liked it a lot enough to say I'm going to continue with this this is good stuff yeah. The, the first 10, 15 issues of his run, I don't particularly rate. Um, 340 upwards, that, that Wolverine Hulk battle upwards, that, that fight is awesome. But that's when it gets good. And like I know that some people didn't like the Jeff Perv's art mm-hmm. on the, the Las Vegas stuff. I did like it, especially the ghoul fight, which again, like I don't normally go for the fight issues, but like he makes them so funny. Um, yeah, it, it was, you could see he was experimenting. You could see what he was doing. Yeah. And you didn't also, you the same time, you didn't know where he was going to take it. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it's a celebrated run for a reason. I think people, you're getting four volumes of it collected in chunks for a reason. And yeah. I think part of why I, I kind of, I wanted to read it. I had read the first, the, the Todd McFarlane all that stuff in the first two or three trades and then the Jeff Pervs are like, I don't want to continue with this, but I do want to get to the Dale Keown and Gary Frank stuff because that's, you know, Future Imperfect comes soon there. And I'm like, yes. but then there's this this era that I didn't read. So it was, yeah, again, very geeky. You got eight volumes of Visionaries yeah. that don't continue and uh-huh. then they pick up in the epics. I'm like, I don't want to read it in this weird, have to collect it in all these different formats. And then, so when it came out this way, I did an episode of like 
a couple friends of the show, Sam Noir, shout out to Sam, and Casey Parsons, who they're both artists from Toronto. They wanted to just do an episode talking about their favorite Hulk stories. So after, <gasps> after they did that, I ran out the next day to pick up that volume one while I still could. And I, I, I really enjoyed it. I liked it a lot more than I expected to. So I'm super excited. Like, I almost know I'm going to like what is coming. Because yeah. no one has ever spoken ill of it. But, uh, yeah, no, there's so much that I thought you would have gone with. And you actually picked what my next pick was going to be. I haven't done mine in order. But um, it was going to be Black Panther from Christopher oh, Priest. cool. It's just great stuff. Really, you, you don't get the movie. You do not get the Black Panther movie without Christopher Priest. No, Period. it's a shame they didn't lean into that a little bit more. I think, like yeah. the way that they used, I didn't like the way that they used. Oh God, I forgot the character's name. Um, the yes, the I know who you're talking. Yeah, I know who you're talking. His yeah. liaison there. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I forget I his name. Know. Oh God! He was, Great run. Can't remember the character. Yeah, he was actually he was actually based off of if they were if he was going to cast him, Christopher Priest. I think said that it was supposed to be Michael J. Fox. Right. It's supposed to be that character, uh, which I makes sense. See that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, the, even the opening, and this isn't a spoiler because it's page one, but it opens with him in a toilet stall. Yes. Like it's the most unceremonious introduction to Everett a character Ross, in a mainstream. Everett K. Ross. Yes. 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 There it yeah, is. we did Thank read it. <laughs> Honest. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's uh, it's a celebrated run that I hope I have all all of them in the complete collections. But it is one of those ones that deserves the deluxe treatment. It's a great Completely. series. Yeah, it's especially yeah. like you said those '90s years, especially. Um, but the one that I because we didn't mention it, maybe you don't care for it. I think you do, but. It, you can't talk '90s Marvel if we're not going to talk about Daredevil, yeah. Frank Miller and John Romita Jr., the Man Without Fear. If you like the I'm Daredevil television, if you if, <laughs> if if you didn't if you like the television show, that's you don't get the television show without that book. No, it's it's that was a, that was a great mini. I tell you what, I'll admit that slipped my mind. There's a lot. That's what I mean. There's people. Crap on the '90s, but a lot of the a lot of the best things that happen to characters, like if you're gonna look at their number one stories on other lists, quite a few come from the '90s. There's good stuff. Yeah. There is good stuff in it. I mean, the things I like, I did an honorable mentions, but like I, I I still had other titles that I didn't mention, like the New Warriors and that's right. Uh, that's right. I loved Operation Zero Tolerance as a crossover. I know a lot of people don't, but I did. I like the Joe Casey run on Cable. I don't normally like Cable, and I don't normally like Joe Casey. For some reason, it really worked. The Peter Parker issues of Spider-Man after the Clone Saga, I really liked. There was an issue where they just, he was just stuck, he had vertigo and he was stuck on a wall. It was almost like the, the comics equivalent of Castaway. Like, <laughs> it was, I, I like that they just even experimented with that in one issue. That we haven't mentioned Marvels. The first twenty-five issues of Spider-Man twenty ninety-nine, the earliest issues of Ghost Rider for the relaunch. Um, I think even liked Nth Man. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Most people don't even know that exists, but I, I thought that was a really great series. If they ever collect Nth Man in the trade, I would get it because it was just so random. Um, 
there was great stuff. Yeah. It's it's actually hard to pick five. It is. With so much to choose from. It yeah, no, it's true. And I in fairness, there's a lot of stuff from that time, that decade that now is becoming uh, maybe it's the 30 year separation that happens to us where we kind of look back at 30 years prior nostalgically for for like you know in in the 2010s we were doing that to the 80s now it seems yeah. we're doing that with the 90s and people who were grew up in the 90s are now our age that's their decade yeah so what they loved is they're going to say this influenced me these comic books are the ones I grew up on that made me fall in love. So I gotta, you know, I'm gonna tackle those characters with what they taught me. I guess you could say, right? And also, I think like even though there was some dross, people bought those comics and continued with them mm-hmm. for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, if you if you watch the X Men cartoon and you went, I want to buy some X Men comics now, and you picked up and you went, dude, you're not gonna come back. No, and loads of people back. started picking up X Men in the nineties. There yeah. are some. I mean, like on, I didn't mention Onslaught. I actually quite like Onslaught as an event. It's not the best, but it's it's a generally if you hit those core chapters, it's a good event. And good isn't crap. <laughs> it might not be the greatest, but it wasn't horrific. I don't think. I know some people really hate it. I don't really care. Well, a lot of people it's, do like it. A, a lot of people have very warm feelings about it. They enjoyed that event. And, yeah. you know, like, I, I don't know how you feel. I like Fatal Attractions quite a bit. It actually, reading Fatal Attractions in that big oversized hardcover is what got me into the Omni collecting. Because oh, I, right. I, yeah, because it was something on my shelf that I had never really had time to, you know, hold and read and go to that trouble. And I, it, it was... During you know the the very first wave of the pandemic where everyone was waiting to see what the heck this was, so I was off work for a bit. So I said I'm going to read this thing cover to cover, and I said that is a great way. I get why people like that format because I got all this story, stuff that I wouldn't have read. I gave a chance, and I appreciate yeah. I appreciate its spot in what it does for the overall story. Even though sometimes some stuff is filler, you get it right, but. Then you read, you know, something like Peter David Hulk and you go from, you read 40 issues and you realize, well, I've just read, you know, almost four to five years uh-huh. of what was happening. That's a lot of era that you're covering yeah. in one, in one sitting, not one sitting, but in one, you know, chunk of reading. So I, it made me appreciate the format all of a sudden that I was kind of on the fence about. It is something that does keep you in and, and I think there are times when I've bought trades and I've stopped after one volume when I know that like if I've read them later and gone oh if I caught that in like the hardcover I would have stuck with you know and it, it does make a difference to how you read yeah um, I like with reading DC One Million if that was in a series of trades I would have stopped by now but I'm carrying on partly because I, I own the damn book so I want to make sure I finish the book mm. um, and there is some cack in there but it's, it's not the greatest story either but I'm persisting because I bought that book and I want to finish the thing and see what the payoff is. And I've got all the tie-ins and some of them are terrible, but it does make you carry on. And I think like, like I remember doing a review for Peter David's Hulk on Amazon when I got that visionaries book. And I said, like, this isn't the best. This isn't the greatest, this volume, but stick with it. Like 
if, if I give this five stars and you read this and go, this is really the best, you're going to go, comics must suck if like, this is the best they can do. It's not the best volume. Those first issues aren't the greatest comics you're ever going to read. But stick with it and you'll you'll find the greatest comics or some of the best comics you'll ever read. Right. Um, and I think it helps if you've got it in a format where you've shelled out all that cash. <laughs> like, well, I'm going to stick with it now. Good, because it will pay off. Yeah, yeah, I, I, for sure. I'm looking forward to it, and I'm happy that they they did it. That they didn't leave the fans stranded. Dave, we did yeah. two hours, like nothing. <gasps> I know you got Whoa. a clock there, but it went. I felt it went fast. This was fun. It did. Well, there's so much to say. <laughs> I know. I could keep going, but I. Yeah, Daredevil, Frank Miller. I don't even think we got into the into it, but it's worth it. That was a really good call. Can't believe that that didn't even make my didn't make it to the honorable mentions list. I didn't even get it in there at all. So one thank sec. you. Yeah, I feel like I feel like that's one of those uh, series, the the Daredevil that if you're an artist, there's so much to appreciate, and if you are fan of the character it doesn't ruin his origin at all it adds to it and um it's just it's an example of something only comics can do yeah well i think it was intended to be a script for a tv film i think Pro- probably you can see why yeah but it's, i think they then took it and made it into, i think they were then going to make it a one-off graphic novel and then they made it a mini obviously but yeah, I mean, I remember when I read it, and I didn't know enough about the earlier days of Daredevil that I didn't know that wasn't the origin. Mm-hmm. So, it, and it still works. So right. even though like it's it's not six one six continuity, if you want an origin of Daredevil, that's probably better than the actual origin of Daredevil. Well, yeah, and and if anyone has enjoyed that show, I almost like the him in that costume, you know, just a black tights with yeah. his head wrapped better than the costume you end up getting in a way uh, it's like yeah that's frank miller's daredevil they got it yeah it makes more sense yeah and and it's directly pulled from that book yeah oh that was such a good call i'm trying to think if there's nice. any honorable mentions we haven't thought of but we could be here all day i was that close to adding warlock and the infinity watch but I gotta read that. Right. I'm, I mean, now that you mentioned that, I need to read it because I, I was always wondering if they would put that back in print, and then I found them at a used bookstore, both volumes. So I picked them up, uh-huh. and I'm like, ah, got it. So I need to read those. Yeah, that may that might be a vacation read. Yeah, yeah, definitely for sure. Well, thank you so much, dude. I always appreciate hanging out and talking comics with you and whatever else we get into. It's always a blast. <laughs> Well, yeah, thanks again for, as always, having me back. It's just really, it's just fun. I was really looking forward to it today. Yeah, me too. I'm, and I'm, I'm sorry that you're under the weather, and I really appreciate you giving me so much time when you should be sleeping. But I hope you feel better. It's fine. It was, it was something to look forward to. Yeah. Well, tell everyone where they can follow both of your, your uh, social media, some of my favorite. Okay, um, so I do the the Marvel Comics Guide, which is on Instagram um, at Marvel Comics Guide, um, which links through to the the website, which is still called Marvel Crossovers dot So it used to be the Marvel Crossover Guide back in the day. Um, 
And then on Instagram, WM underscore comics underscore reviews or comic underscore reviews. I now can't remember. I can never remember, can I, when we do this? Um, but that's where I do my reviews for anything, that mostly anything that isn't Marvel, but anything I read, which is actually more of a record for myself, so I can remember what I've even read. Great. Even <laughs> for me. And what I thought of it. So, yes, it's very honest. I mean, I'll give it a fair rating. Some people think it's harsh. I don't care because it's a record for me. But if people find it useful, fantastic. I love but it. There'll it's be some obscure stuff in there, mainstream stuff. It's, it's such a, a, a wide range of stuff that you read that it's exciting to see what you uh, how you rate your books and interact with them too because that's also part of the your review, I feel, where you interact oh, cool. with those books. Yeah, no, it's good. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, stay tuned for more episodes. Dave, I can't wait to have you back. You take care. You get better. <laughs>